0: Hello everyone, you are listening to Studying Pixels, a Christmassy podcast on game studies and video game culture. I'm Stefan Heinrich Simond, a game study scholar from Germany. I'm Dan Hughes, a Japanese scholar from Texas. And you can find us every Sunday on studyingpixels.com and wherever you get your podcasts. It is time for Christmas, and I must say, I love it. I love Christmas. Yes. I know it's commercialized. I know I shouldn't, but I can't help to get excited when I have a tiny present in front of me, or a big present, ideally, <laughs> and I get to unwrap it and be excited about it. It just awakes a kind of childish joy within me.
1: Well, commercialized though it may be, I think that it is, it's is—it's definitely my favorite time of year because kindness does seem to bubble over with people, at least here in the States. So it's a nice month-and-a-half chunk of people being kinder to one another. Oh, it's like one month and a half? Ah, Stefan, yes. Christmas in America starts (laughs) really... Before Halloween, I would say. <laughs>
0: oh, wow. Well, one month and a half of kindness is actually quite a luxurious thing because in Germany, people are kind on like two days. <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> everything back to normal. <laughs> Very
1: economical with the kindness. <laughs>
0: yeah, we can't afford all these lights all the time. We're wasting energy.
1: <laughs> uh, but no, it is uh, It is definitely, um, I would say, one of my favorite times of year. And I think... Uh, Video games play a big part in that for sure. So, I hope that everybody out there is having a a Merry Christmas um, or a happy holiday around this time and enjoying time with your family or your friends or playing some great games.
0: Yeah, or listening to some Studying Pixels because we are also very much trying to make Christmas a wonderful time for you. We've already given away a PlayStation 5 earlier. Um, It should have arrived by now. So, that we're actually pre recording this a little bit. So, it's not Christmas as the time of recording, but it will be Christmas by the time this episode airs. And we also thought we'd just do a little bit of a special episode where we don't do any side quests, uh, but we get into a little bit of a review of the year that happened and a look forward to the year that's going to come. Because actually, we're going to take next week off. So New Year's We will take a break as well in order to chill and spend some time with friends and family. So this will be our last episode for this year. And what an incredible year it actually was. If I think, imagine this is now our 14th episode. We've just launched studying pixels in the latter half of 2021. And it is such an amazing and such a fun project. I really love doing this here with you.
1: Yes. Well, the feeling's very mutual. I think um, it's been, I, I say this as a compliment where even though, so we're on the 14th episode, it feels as if we just started and that we've been doing this for a very long time all, all at once.
0: Yeah. The groove is definitely there. The groove is there. And yeah. I think probably people can also notice that this is not the first podcasting project that we've done. So it's like, yes, uh, there, there, is some, there is some history there. And also, I've got this little music box that I wanted to just briefly bring up. I don't know whether this is audible for people. If I hold it close to the microphone, let me just wa- oh, sorry, I'm not going to break it yet. I just want to wind <laughs> it up a little bit. This is a classic German Christmas song. It's called, Leise Rieselt der Schnee. Quietly, the snow is falling and I'm just gonna hold it to the microphone. It's literally a physical
2: music box, and it sounds like this.
0: Isn't that a Christmas vibe? That's very nice. It's
1: okay. such a beautiful name for a song, I must say. Yeah, this is
0: something that, you know, when I was a child, I'm going to place it, it's going to stop at some point, I assume. I'm just going <laughs> to place it here. Okay, your little music box. It has like a chocolate factory on there. But uh, <laughs> yeah, as a, as a child, it was always the case that when we... Um, were eagerly awaiting to open the presents, we, need, we needed to stand around the Christmas tree. You could see the presents there, but you first needed to sing at least one song, maybe two or three.
1: <laughs> well, that's uh, So that that was in the, the repertoire then, when yes. you would be waiting to open up the presents.
0: Leise Riesel der Schnee was definitely like a default.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that we... Uh, we never sang songs, but we... Our uh, family tradition was You know, uh, the night before Santa would have come and and left his presence. And so my mom in particular was very, very strict about, okay, you all need to, me and my brothers, we would sit on the staircase because just around the corner was the tree. Mm. And she would say, okay, I want you to sit on the staircase and come around the corner so that I can see your reaction. You can't come out until everything's ready. And so we'd be sitting there for a couple of minutes and just like, okay, is it time now? Is it time now? (laughs) And this is in the morning, right? In the morning of the 25th. Yes. Yeah. Christmas morning.
0: Yeah. This is a fundamental difference uh, because for all my life, I've been just accustomed to opening presents on the evening of the 24th. And I remember that, I think, two or three years ago, I spent Christmas in the UK, and that was also the case, that was in the morning. And I found that kind of weird, because it's like, I don't know, the, for me, the excitement on the 24th, on the evening, during Christmas dinner, and so on, was always like that moment when you unpack presents, or when you exchange presents, by now that you're a bit older. Yeah. Um, but in the morning, it was kind of like, yeah, okay, I just had breakfast, uh, okay, let's uh, open the presents, and then I'm going to go for a cigarette, you know? <laughs> <laughs>
1: well it was it was always funny for us too, because um I can't remember when my parents instituted this rule, but at some point it it was the rule that okay, we're still going to do everything on Christmas morning, but nothing can happen until after seven in the morning because any time earlier than that is just ludicrous so yeah let's. Let's all get some sleep, wake up and have a nice morning and then have some breakfast.
0: Ah, and then you're giddy as a child throughout the entire night and you think like, oh, tomorrow
1: morning is the time. Absolutely. It was, uh, I used to, I don't know, looking back, I was probably only up until maybe like 10 o'clock in the evening, but it felt like I was up until three in the morning waiting for Christmas morning. So it was, I can see, you know, there's fun, fun in both sides, a nice Christmas Eve evening Everybody exchanging and having a nice time, then getting to, you know, uh, spend the morning together. But there is something also pretty magical about, as a child especially, oh, Santa's coming tonight, and then in the morning we'll get to open everything.
0: Yeah, actually, in in Germany, it's not even Santa that comes. By now, I I think probably, I'm not sure, I would be interested in how many people actually are visited by santa like you can let us know mm. out there whether santa in in german if you live in germany whether santa is coming to your place or what we call the christkind i always, for me it was always the christkind like the christ child and it was it was always like this kind of more invisible uh, entity that didn't really have a physical form and it w- you would never really have some kind of imagination there would not be like a like a tall obese dude with with a white yeah. beard this is something that <laughs> yeah. only came later i think as a cultural import you could say
1: well I've, i I figure now is as good a time as any because uh, there is some fun christmas trivia which you you told me that and i hadn't realized that i i remembered somewhere in the recesses of my brain that santa the the vision of santa that we all have as as you say like an obese man with a white beard um it actually comes from the Coca-Cola company. Yeah. So that, that depiction of Santa was used in, I think still is along with the polar bears nowadays, um, in Christmas ads. And so that kind of image that we all have when we think of Santa Claus is a product of Coca-Cola.
0: Yeah, and we went so full circle just now because now we're exactly at the point of commercialization well, yes. of course, when I think of Christmas, even even in Germany, even in Europe, you think of like this song of like, holidays are coming, holidays are coming. And this is also <laughs> from a Coca-Cola advertisement, right? And, you know, the Coca-Cola <laughs> truck that drives around the country and so on. They have really, they really own Christmas, like the Christmas
1: aesthetics. They really do. I think something about the the, I don't know, the colors that they choose, the red and white, maybe. It's just inherently Christmassy, or maybe it's, I don't know, the 90 years of advertising that they've done. Yeah, (laughs) yeah,
0: really influenced it. Well, it just goes to show that, you know, advertisement and uh, economics are very much strongly related with uh, cultural iconography as well and can change it
1: profoundly. It should be noted that when it comes to uh, commercialization, this podcast has none of it. That is correct. We do not have any advertisement,
0: and the only way that we finance our show is By you, dear listeners out there, especially those that have already signed up for studying Pixels Plus, because you do know that we have this Patreon program, it's $5 a month, and you get our gratitude, of course, you get a sticker, and you get monthly plus episodes. And we are super grateful for all of you who have signed up throughout the course of this year, because starting with a project such as this, you might have noticed, if you go to studyingpixels.com, and I'm not sure whether people are aware of this, but there went a a lot of effort and also quite a bit of money went into building this website. I'm really proud of our website. I think it looks really cool and it looks amazing on the phone where you can like swipe through the episodes and so on. It's truly awesome. I'm really proud of it. If I may be so, you know, narcissistic about this. You thing. should be. <laughs> <laughs> I've never built a website before, but I'm really happy with the results, and I hope so are you. And of course, we do need some funding in order to keep this project well, going and growing, because we want to do more, we want to upgrade equipment, we want to storage all our stuff, we need to pay for a server in order to keep it running. And if you want to help us in doing that and you're not yet signed up, then you can go to studyingpixels.com plus, where you can join our Patreon program. And in the meantime, we can move ahead and, well, actually look a little bit into next year, because the idea for this episode is... Strongly inspired by the Triple Click podcast. That's actually a podcast recommendation from me. It's one of my favorite shows. It's uh, Jason Schreier, Kirk Hamilton, and Maddie Myers, formerly from Kotaku. They have the Kotaku Split Screen podcast where they also did this, and now they're doing. Uh, they they went independent, and they're doing Triple Click, and they do this thing where they exchange predictions always at the end of the year they all bring predictions to the table and then at the end of the next year they see which of these predictions came true and i've done i've adopted this kind of for previous shows see it less of you know it's not a, i'm not stealing the idea it's more like a tribute to the beauty of this idea we also <laughs> modified it a little bit but generally the rules for for this one are that Dan you and me we both bring Five predictions. We do not know at this point what the other has predicted. These predictions must occur in 2022, not earlier, not later. And they must not be immediately obvious. Of course, you can predict that another FIFA game will come out or there will be another (laughs) Call of Duty game and probably some kind of controversy revolving around Call of Duty. But this is not enough. It needs to be precise. Every correct prediction that we make, then we look back at it at the end of 2022 and every correct prediction awards one point. And if now in this episode, we both agree that one of the predictions is particularly daring, particularly precise or particularly unlikely, then we can award it two points as well. So basically, it is rewarded to be a little bit more daring in the prediction's that we make. And at the end of next year, we're then going to look back, see which of these predictions came true, award ourselves the points, and whoever wins, whoever has the most points, gets to choose a game that the other then has to play, or that we both have to play together, I would say.
1: Yes, I think that, because that would be fun to have a follow-up episode where we talk about the game that the other had to play.
0: Yes, exactly. Then we'll do an episode where we play said game together, and we already have chosen our games, the games that we are going to make the other person play. Those are games that, you know, my game, I know you haven't played so far, Dan, and the other way around as well, I think. Yes. And I thought about which kind of game would I want Dan to play? Which kind of game would I want to do an episode on in which we discuss the content of this game? And I obviously had to choose one that I think is... Somewhat controversial, but also very interesting and rich as a material for analysis. And that is why I chose my favorite walking simulator, and that is Firewatch by Campo Santo.
1: Yes, I would be, I, I'll be honest with you, I would be happy to play that one. So it's not, I should said that this isn't, um, this isn't like a punishment game. No. <laughs> where, where, where we're trying to make the other one's life miserable, despite my choice. I should say that up front, despite what I'm, what I would choose. Now I am scared. <laughs> so my choice would be Cyberpunk 2077. Oh, Cyberpunk! Yes, that and that. Uh, I that think Cyberpunk? would be, <laughs> that's the one. And I think let me let me put it this way: I I am of the opinion that any game that is that controversial is worth dissecting. Mm. So I think that we would have a really great time talking about our experience with that game, especially since it must be said that between now and then is a long time, and I would be interested to see what happens to Cyberpunk in between now and then.
0: Yes, I must say I'm also curious about that, and coincidentally, I didn't know this beforehand, this this was not coordinated, but I do have a prediction regarding Cyberpunk 2077. Let's get started. So here's my very first prediction. Oh, my God. So I predict that Cyberpunk 2077 finds a second, or rather first, wave
1: of glory in 2022. I could very easily see this happening. And I think, uh, I think you might get a point for this one, because I'm reminded of this whole thing reminded me so much of no man's sky and what happened with that game and i don't know if uh, cd project red is as dedicated as hello games was with no man's sky but a year is a long time and they've had a long time to kind of build on it. So I would be very curious to see what happens.
0: Yeah, me too. Because I think they had a disastrous launch with probably the lowest point of that launch being Cyberpunk 2077 being pulled from the PlayStation Store for PlayStation 4 because it was just unplayable. And uh, I think that throughout this year, throughout the remainder of this year, they have already shown that they are working on it, that they're fixing it, that they produce update after update after update. They basically pushed back all of the free content editions, the DLC that they wanted to put out. They pushed it all back in favor of fixing the game. And I think I trust CD Projekt Red quite a lot. Their games are generally pretty good, and they're also... They they are quite known for launching in a state that is uh, like n- not particularly polished, but as they've shown with The Witcher Three as well, this is a game that had a long lifespan and that had a huge wave of glory um, after its launch, like a year after its launch. And I think that we'll see a similar thing. They'll make it happen. Basically, my assumption is I want to be a little bit more precise than just you know saying that. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that the PlayStation Four version will remain largely. Unplayable. That they will say, okay, uh, (laughs) PlayStation 4, okay, like, you know, we'll fix like the basic things, but they're not going to focus on it that much because over the course of the next year, we'll see more and more people being able to adopt actual current gen consoles, right? Yes. So they're going to focus on that. They're going to focus on that and on the PC. And then once they've got the basics fixed, they're going to push out, as I assume, a whole bunch of free DLC which will then get reported and picked up upon. And then people will think like, oh yeah, wait, Cyberpunk 2077, That I was excited about it and then it was such a disaster, but now it looks kind of cool. Maybe I can jump into it now and then we'll see this wave of glory coming in. Maybe I would say around uh, late spring, early summer next year when we have a little bit of a, you know, when when the big releases are a bit more scattered, that will be the time for Cyberpunk 2077 to shine.
1: I have a feeling you're right. And, you know, more power to them if they're able to turn that around. So I think a solid prediction for 2022. Oh, thank you very much. Okay. Yes. Well, all right. So my first one, um, it's it's kind of cheeky, I guess, but it's, uh, we will not know the title of the Breath of the Wild sequel until days before its release. Oh. Mm -hmm. They've been very secretive. It's, it's been referred to as the sequel to Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild for a very long time now. I have a feeling that the title of the game would be so explosive that they're not going to, you know, I don't know. It may be something like calling back to a previous game, maybe a Majora's reference or something. Um, But I think that they're being very deliberate in not releasing the title. And I think we won't know it until very soon before it's released.
0: So you don't think it's just going to be Breath of the
1: Wild 2? No, I think they've it's been Nintendo so... It's Nintendo, after all. <laughs> yeah. They've been, they've been so deliberately secretive. I have a feeling that... It, like if, Let me put it this way. If we knew it now, I think a lot of the twists would be kind of eaten up by people who are doing fan theories and stuff like that. So Nintendo, being very crude, or not crude, shrewd, Is saying, you know what, we're going to keep this from you until the 11th hour. Then you'll know what the game is about.
0: (laughs) Okay, okay. I mean, I can, on the one hand, I can see this happening. I'm going to just give my estimation just from what I know about it. I can see it happening, but I think it's going to be a little bit earlier than that. It might be, I could imagine that they reveal a title which is probably has breath of the wild somewhere in there either at the at the front or what I could also see them doing is putting breath of the wild at the back of the of the title that it has some kind of other thing and breath of the wild is the, the subtitle
1: yeah i think it's i i have a feeling that it's going to have something to do with um maybe like there's going to be something referring to calamity in it it's either going to be something very straightforward and it's just Odd that they didn't release the title, <laughs> or it's going to be very, very specific, and it's going to get everybody's brains moving at what might be happening in that game. Age of Calamity.
0: Oh well, <laughs> they
1: had that already. <laughs> wasn't that? It's a, a good one though.
0: Wasn't that a title of something already?
2: Was yeah, Hyrule Warriors.
0: Hyrule Warriors age of calamity okay too bad i thought i could come up with it and then sue nintendo for copyright infringement in case they take it
1: (laughs) uh beating them at their own game (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) sorry already trademarked it trademarked by studying pixels (laughs) who are these guys (laughs) Uh, sorry uncle nintendo well here's my number two this ties into a story that has kept us and i mean by that the two of us and studying pixels as a team, but also the entirety of video game culture, quite busy and on our toes throughout the last couple of months. I'm talking about the events at Activision Blizzard. Yes. Now, here's my prediction. We do know that um, we do know that. Well, there's quite a bit of trouble revolving around the CEO of Activision Blizzard, which is Bobby Kotick, and we know that there is a push that he shall resign.
2: Mm.
0: We also know that he does not want to do that. Like he says, they're going to he's gonna look into the issues at Activision Blizzard and he's gonna consider stepping down if he cannot fix the issues. Now, this obviously leaves him a lot of wiggle room, but my prediction is Bobby Kotick resigns his post at Activision Blizzard only because otherwise he would have been fired.
1: Mm. Interesting. Okay. So let's talk about this because I also have a prediction around Bobby Kotick. Oh, I think we will, we will either both get a point or both lose a point because my prediction is that Bobby Kotick will step down from Activision Blizzard in June. I don't know why, but I'm thinking middle of the year in June after admitting he was not able to change the fundamental issues at the company. Oh, so,
0: okay. So I think
1: yes. I think June
0: is definitely a possible time frame because we hmm. we do know and this is something that supports both of our predictions that the lawsuits against Activision Blizzard are moving ahead and he's going yes. to be implicated in these things. He's going to have to attend hearings. He's going to, you know, there's going to be a lot of stuff going on that also reveals things about Bobby Kotick and that falls back on his shoulders. So I think June might be a reasonable time frame. I do think, though, that he will not say that he was not able to fix it. But my assumption is he will get pressure from the shareholders. That's where I think where the push comes from. Shareholders at Activision Blizzard will realize over the course of the next year how strongly this issue is actually impacting them, especially since due to the lawsuit, there are going to be always more news stories. There's always new bits. Yeah, it's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. And shareholders will get sick of that at a certain point. Yeah. Of people calling out Bobby Kotick and and the CEOs of uh, of Activision Blizzard, and they will say, if we don't do anything about this, then we will actually lose a lot of money in the process. And they will say, Bobby, uh, we know you know you're trying to do your best here, or whatever, but uh, you need to go. And he will say, like, no, I don't want to. You know, he will not want to leave, but because the shareholders will eventually say, well, you know, we can also force you out. (laughs) Then you will be like, then you will be like, okay, I did my best. I brought everything on the way to improve everything. And now it's up to my successor. So thank you very much for all your attention and I'll go some,
1: play some golf. Right. (laughs) I think that, I think, I think you're on the money. I think where we maybe differ is that I have a feeling that if it comes, if it comes to that, if push comes to shove and he's given that ultimatum by the shareholders, i have this cynical idea that he will basically try to burn the bridge behind him by saying i tried to fix these you remember i told you i would try to fix the issues well i've tried and i don't think they're able to be fixed so i'm out of here good luck with everything right i think that there may be an element of uh of cynicism going into his departure that uh, could be possible could be possible.
0: I mean, there's certainly a lot of, you know, bad blood going on with behind closed doors that we just yeah. don't know about yet. I'm I'm going to be very curious to see what happens, but I guess, um, we can, we can both say that, uh, you know, well, um, hmm, I mean, now it's a little bit complicated because the thing is I can't get a point for that. Um, if like,
1: are you going to only get a point if he resigns in June? I'll, yeah, I'll bite that bullet. Yes. I'll say, June will be the time frame. Okay, if because if you say June
0: will be the time frame, then I'm going to propose the following. Because the time frame is so specific, mm. I would like to give you two points for that prediction. If Bobby Kotick steps down in June 2022, then you would get two points. Excellent. I'll take them. <laughs> and uh, then I think, yeah, for me, probably I would only get a point if... Uh, we actually, if he resigns due to that pressure from the shareholders,
1: yes, I think that's I think that's fair. And at any point in twenty twenty, at
0: any point, that's why I, I shouldn't. Yep. That's why I think it's also fair that I don't get two points because my prediction is a lot more likely than yours to to occur because it's of the time frame. So I'm good with just getting one point for this.
1: Good, good. All right, it's settled. Well, then on to on to my next prediction. So this is a bit more fun than Bobby Kotick and the Activision Blizzard debacle. Um, but I think uh, Guillermo del Toro and Hideo Kojima will announce that they are working on a new Silent Hill project together. Again? <laughs> yes. Because I have, uh, so they're, they're clearly very good friends. And there's been all this buzz about um, a new Silent Hill project that's going to be worked, worked on outside of Konami. And the two of them, and maybe this is just how they talk with one another. <laughs> I don't know. But the two of them have been very kind of you know, uh, saying, oh, you know, it would be really great if a Silent Hill game was made. Oh, it would be really nice if if something like this would happen. Oh, I wonder if Guillermo del Toro will do anything. Oh, I wonder if Kojima-san will do anything. <laughs> they've, been, they've been very kind of coy about it. And so I think that there will be some kind of announcement on a Silent Hill project that will actually come together this year.
0: It could be possible because the thing is just, they had something already. They were yes. already there, they had it underway, and it was ruined, that, that idea basically. But, but I mean, the idea, the concept still lingers, and I can't imagine creative minds such as those two basically just giving up on something that they were excited about.
1: No, and I think that um, we know that Kojima is, is such a big film buff, loves movies, and he's so friendly with Guillermo del Toro and Guillermo del Toro so once this episode goes out the movie will have been released a movie called Nightmare Alley um and it it has a lot of Lovecraftian Silent Hilly kind of imagery in it and i just i feel like they're not done with this idea
0: yeah yeah they haven't dropped it yet do you think Norman Reedus
1: will be in it <laughs> <laughs> well that's another i mean it seems like the three of them i, I don't i don't know if Norman Reedus is Kojima'd out after Death Stranding. I don't think he is. I think he's still really good friends with him. So, um, yeah, I'll say I won't make that part of my prediction, but I will say that I think that he'll probably make an appearance if that were to happen.
0: It's fairly likely that if he doesn't play the leading role, that at least he does play some kind of role. And I also think if it is announced, it's fairly likely that it's produced by Sony, I would say.
1: Yes, I think so. Like Sony as a publisher, Kojima Productions as developer. I think so, I, and I wonder too, like if it may be um, Sony has some good experience with this, uh, doing joint ventures with intellectual property. You know, because uh, right now, so Spider Man is the best example where Sony still has their their grips on the Spider Man IP. But Marvel, of course, also does. And so they come together to make those Spider Man movies, which are huge successes. So I I could see a world where Sony and Konami would come together and do something similar. Sony and Konami. I could see it. Mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I guess so. I mean the rights of the rights for Silent Hill are still with Konami, right? I believe so. Mm, They're still okay. selling merchandise and making slot machines yeah, in f- Japan. So. Sony, <laughs> I, I could imagine that Sony buys that that's that franchise then. Mm. That Sony buys the licenses or something, basically buys Konami out because in order to really make a big push into uh, the department of Silent Hill, because we've seen the excitement revolving around, you know, Alan Wake 2 and so on, which was announced at this year's Game Awards and uh, psychological horror seems to be coming back in a strong way, especially in its cinematic form. And that's why I would assume it's fairly likely to happen. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I'll, I'm, I hope that that one's true, because I have a lot of personal interest in it. <laughs> uh, I would so play that. That would be amazing. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
0: Right. What I'm a little bit more on the fence on is uh, the Steam Deck, because you may remember mm. that throughout the course of this year, Valve announced the Steam Deck as this basically Switch kind of style, like Nintendo Switch style thing, but with the power of a PC hardware. Mm, you can use it in handheld, and you can just plug it in and use it as basically as a as a docked PC. It's slotted to come out in February 22, and my prediction is that the Steam Deck will launch, as planned, in February 2022. It will develop a small following of early adopters who will be super excited about the Steam Deck, but, unfortunately, it will quickly lose traction because most games on Steam are not optimized for handheld play, and people will just quickly realize, like, oh, okay, this is, like, a thing that's not really what I was looking for. So it will have a small following, but it will not become like a big major thing. That's my, it might be that I totally regret saying this next year, but that's my assumption <laughs> when, when everyone has a Steam Deck in the living room. Yeah, right. My idea is not going to be, it's not going to be as big as it was hyped up at the beginning.
1: I have a feeling that you're right though. And and my, uh, I have no data to back this up. So this is, uh, listeners, this is not a uh, an educated assumption here, but there, there's just a feeling that I get where people who are primarily PC gamers don't have a lot of overlap with console gamers and vice versa. And so if you're someone who, you know, plays primarily on a PlayStation or a switch or an Xbox, even, um, I feel like the barrier to entry for PC gaming is so high that I don't know that this, the steam deck is going to be able to get people over that. And even if it did, I think you're absolutely right, where not all Steam games are made to be played on a handheld system. And so people who would maybe otherwise be playing on a console may dip their toes into the Steam Deck and say, why don't I just play my Switch? PlayStation.
0: <laughs> yeah, because that is exactly the thing. Uh, I, for example, it is totally possible to play a complex strategy game, also a game like Civilization or something. It's possible to play it in handheld mode. I could imagine, you know, I played Civilization uh, on my iPad as well. That's how I actually started out playing Civ. I could also imagine things like Age of Empires and, and what whatnot to be playable in, in handheld mode. But the thing is, if you want to do that, then it needs to be specifically optimized for that. You need a different kind of set of controls. You need the adjustment of the icons and so on. I'm not sure whether the Steam Deck can reliably deliver that because it will just be, for most games, it will just be the default Steam version that you would get. And then you would notice like, oh man, the writing is really small and it's like these icons and I can't, (laughs) you know, and then something just doesn't run properly and so on. That's why I think I think it's going to have a small following, but it's not going to become a big thing. It's not. It's not going to play in the same league of the
1: current consoles. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think they're, I don't think there's a market for a lot of overlap there. But you know, who knows? Yeah, maybe, maybe. I don't know. Maybe this will be the one that breaks through. Yeah. What, what else yeah. have you got on your prediction list? So on the subject of handheld uh, gaming systems, mm. um, I predict that there will be no Switch Pro or any other kind of next-gen Nintendo announcement. I think the OLED Switch is it for the time being. Yeah, totally agree.
0: Yep. Totally agree. Because if they wanted to do that, they would have done it already. With the They yes. would have paired it with the OLED and would have said, now, and this is the Pro Switch or something right but maybe it's just not it's just once more a testimony to the fact that Nintendo is not running in the same direction as everyone else is because for them it's like well you know our games look like 2017 2018 but who cares about that you know they're stylized the pokemon exactly. you know when you play pokemon sword and shield or something the games look cool they they're not yeah. they're not like super high fidelity when it comes to technology but they look cool, and I think that's the direction that they're heading. So,
1: yeah, I I think so, and I think I think you hit the nail on the head with um, the stylized games that Nintendo puts out. Because even if if you look at a game like um, Metroid Dread, which from all accounts looks fantastic on the OLED Switch, I feel like that's maybe maybe the the nicest that Nintendo wants something to look. You know, the the highest fidelity or Whatever you want to say, I don't think that they're very um, occupied with technical prowess. I think they've reached what they want, and I'm thinking about the new Kirby game that's coming out. That doesn't need to look like the latest Call of Duty. Yeah, (laughs) It just needs to look like Kirby. So there's not a real push for it, I don't think, on Nintendo's side. I think that's what they're doing. And it also has its advantages because,
0: as you said, you know that the bar for what is possible when it comes to technical fidelity is relatively low with nintendo you know you can't do um like certain certain things like dynamic illuminations and and all these things like ray tracing stuff like that yeah right it's just simply (laughs) not possible and because of that i think nintendo if then you know if you develop a game for the nintendo switch then you need to stand out with uh, your graphical style, your visual style. You need to have one that is very much compatible with the technical limitations and you focus on gameplay. And I think that's what they want to do. And then at a certain point, obviously there's going to be a new console. Who knows what that will be? I assume it's going to be some kind of iteration of the Switch, but it's not going to be next year.
1: Right. And and just as a, a last comment on this, we've said this before um, when we've discussed Nintendo, but it feels as though if you look at the past 40 years of Nintendo history that everything was leading to the switch. Every technical iteration, whether on the DS or on the Wii U, even the virtual boy, everything was going (laughs) towards, everything was going towards this beautiful little console that they've created. And I don't think they, it's kind of a, if it's not broke, don't fix it kind of mentality. And I think that's fine. Yeah,
0: I, it's hardly imaginable for me that Nintendo would come out and would say like, "Hey, this is now our stand standalone console. This is like a a thing mm. that you can't take uh, on the go." That will make no sense because you need they have a vast library now of games that you can play docked and on the go, so they really can't go they can't go back behind the Switch, yeah. I feel. Yep. Totally agree. I also have a hardware prediction. Well, I had I had one already with Steam Deck, but I have another one, and uh, I think it's a fairly likely one. But I want to try and stand out with specifics with this one. <clears throat>
2: okay.
0: <laughs> so this one <laughs> is about the PlayStation VR Two. Hmm. Okay. Or whatever it may be called, but let's just, as a working title, say PlayStation VR Two, which will be released in 2020. Uh, sorry, no, I apologize. Released in 2023, but it will be. You know, it will get all of its details announced. The marketing will kick off in the next year. It will be natively made with PlayStation 5 in mind, including like a, let's play, PS5-style look, just like, you know, the camera and the controllers and so on. Talking about the controllers, it will also have controllers that come with the haptic feedback functionalities Mm. of the DualSense controller, because that's just simply what makes sense for, for, for a virtual reality headset. Yeah it will have it will have a, well it's its display or the two displays that you have in the in the headset that is going to be pretty powerful but actually if you run it in performance mode then it's going to run at 1080p resolution with 60 fps so a little bit lower resolution, but a high frame rate. It can technically display up to 4K. Now, this is... <laughs> you know, I'm, go- I'm, I'm getting very specific here now, as if I have yeah, the thing in my hands. On it. Yeah, you pitch. Yeah. I have it already.
1: <laughs>
0: it's just how I imagine it. I imagine it can technically go up to 4K, but that would then, you know, take a drop on the frame rate, and that's something that you can choose to if you play in fidelity mode, in, in graphics mode. But... Uh, if you play performance mode, it's going to go up to one thousand eighty p, and the price tag will be three hundred forty
1: nine U S dollars, and it will be released in twenty twenty three. Well, the first thing I have to say is that I will absolutely award you two points if all of that comes true. <laughs> <laughs> all of that needs to come true in order for me to get two points. I do. I do think that you're onto something, though, and I. I wonder. Um, first of all, the, uh, the haptic feedback idea is really exciting because they've clearly, that's one of the coolest, uh, features of the, of the PS five and its controller is yeah. the haptic feedback. And you're right. It totally lends itself to the VR experience. And I think that it, it may be strategic for them to announce in 2022, that this is coming out as kind of further incentive. To buy the ps5 especially since as we've said in previous episodes ps5s may be a little scarce even going into 2022 so to drum up the excitement to keep people thinking you still need one you still want to get one check out this amazing vr experience that we're developing
0: yes exactly i think you're you're right check out the amazing vr experience and then they're going to say internally they're going to discuss okay how expensive do we need to make this and of course they want to. They have several things that overlap. They want to make a very entry level, consumer friendly uh, headset. It's easy to use, easy to put on, plug and play, with a pretty low price tag. At the same time, obviously, they can't just you know sell it too cheaply, otherwise they would lose money. So my idea was they go just below the threshold of what an actual PS5 costs, like the digital edition. And that's why they go with 349 because if they make 399 then people are going to say, well, this is basically a standalone PS5. Yeah. It's ridiculous. So they're going to go a little bit lower so that
1: in the messaging they can say, you know, like nobody will criticize them for that. Well, it's very particular, but I could see a lot of those components coming together in 2022 in an announcement. I think uh, yeah, it's especially depending on um if if Microsoft like they're like they've been kind of hinting goes all out with uh IP the PS5 is going to need something to draw people to it and away from the other systems so VR is a, a likely candidate i would say yeah well
0: that was my second to last one i think do you have one or two still left
1: i have one left okay i'm very um, curious this one, this isn't quite uh, the there will be a new FIFA game level obvious, but I do I do feel like this is leaning more towards obvious. So uh, I'm saying that Elden Ring will absolutely sweep the game awards in 2022 and will likely be talked about from its release until the end of the year.
0: Yeah, of course, yeah. Of I don't need, I
1: don't know if we have to discuss this. Yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course, there's like you know, Joff Keeley will make
1: sure that Elden Ring. Yeah, he's he's win. in love with Elden Ring. I I think <laughs> so. The the game award we've we're recording this shortly after the game awards. Um, and without sort of spoiling anything for you, stuff on there is a moment in the game awards where it's like. Oh yeah jeff Kiwi is i I want to uh, almost in bed with this game at this point <laughs> I think
0: it was also so, originally yeah.
1: announced at the game awards right last year I believe um or that uh or was it teased or something right it was I think it was teased originally with the very first sort of uh trailer that they put out so yeah it's a long history of it so I mean obviously I think Elden ring will do fine it's a from software game and people will it's already sold out in a lot of different versions, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Um, but I specifically think that uh, when the different categories of the Game Awards come up, Elden Ring will be in each one of them, and it will win each one of them.
0: <laughs> wow. Okay, okay, okay. Well, let me think about this. I mean, um, Elden Ring wins Game of the Year. I think that is already... I mean, I, I do totally agree with you. I think it will be the talk of the town throughout the majority of the next year, whether it will win the Game of the Year award largely depends on what else is going to come out. And that's why your prediction Fair. is a bit daring. It's it's not quite obvious because we've also got things like, you know, God of War will also come out, Horizon, uh, Forbidden West will come out. There are a couple of really high-profile games that have, at least from nowadays' perspective, the chance for a Game of the Year award.
1: That's why I think there is a bit of risk involved in there. Well, I, I, as you're saying that, now I'm, I'm a little more on the fence than I was when I wrote that because <laughs> I, for, I, I forgot that God of War and also Breath of the Wild 2, whatever it's called, is supposedly will be out as well. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. But I'm sticking to it. Here's the deal. If
0: you're willing yeah. to commit to the idea of saying Elden Ring will win Game of the Year award, and I, I would say that's totally possible. Because that game is yes. going to be great, and uh, so far, from software games have really ruled at the Game Awards. Absolutely. Then uh, I would say that would be worth two
1: points. Then I I will, for the for the sake of excitement, I will double down <laughs> and say that yes, Elden Ring will win Game of the Year. Wow, high stakes game here. Okay, so <laughs> two points for that prediction, and here's my
0: last one. You know how. Netflix launched its gaming service uh, this year in the yes. US. It's not it's not around in Germany yet, but I know that it launched in the US. I know it's also in other countries in the world it already started. My prediction is that Netflix is going to aim high and it's going to remain largely insignificant. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, In the world of video games.
0: Because the thing is, what they'll find themselves ending up with is a relatively small selection of games that ties to the IPs that they have and maybe a little bit of a selection of unrelated games. But Netflix is not really that much associated with gaming at this point. And when people say, I want to play a video game on my phone or on my tablet or on my streaming stick or whatever, they are not going to turn to Netflix and instead, they're gonna like it's gonna fade a little bit into the background. I, I'm not saying that there are not gonna be any high profile titles on there, but it's going to be just a relatively small blip in the wider domain of app
1: stores and Google Play Store and so on. I think that's probably right. And I could, I could see a world where it remains in the background, but every now and again, there's like a um, promotional tie in game that makes a splash. So we talked about how they launched it with the Stranger Things game. And I could absolutely see them, um, you know, say, for example, Squid Game Season 2 comes out, right? I could absolutely see them having something on the the App Store, the Google Play Store, yeah. tying into, you know, the story of Squid Game. But I think that's probably, it'll it'll be kind of background noise, like you're saying.
0: Yeah, it'll be relatively... Uh, scattered throughout the year. And the big problem that they have is to sell gaming to an audience that is not necessarily focused on gaming. Like people come to Netflix because they want to watch the great Netflix originals and uh, like extensive uh, high production value TV shows. But uh, they are then, It's if, for, if I, I assume that for most Netflix subscribers out there, they are going to ignore that games tab that appears because it's just yeah. going to be like uh, i don't even want to play why do i have like why do i have a video game subscription if i don't even play any video games you know and they maybe will try it out but nobody has the time you know if you're not really playing video games then you just open it up and you see like oh there's this mm, okay i'm moving on you know
1: <laughs> i think yeah i think that's right it's not the Not the same audience for somebody who just wants to sit on the couch and binge through an entire season of something. They're probably not going to invest their time in a video game. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Well, okay. So I honestly must say that I think after going through these predictions and hearing yours, your predictions are great. And I think that you will win, honestly. I think you'll win this.
1: Really? One. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I've I doubled down on quite a few of them. There's some there's some specific things there. I could see y- yours are also great, and I could see a lot of yours coming true. And I I had a vision of the future of next year of me as the as the calendar days you know, flip by just, ah, one more of Stefan's, one more of Stefan's, <laughs> another thing coming true. I think it might be that,
0: that I, I mean, I hope that some of mine are on point, but we'll see then, imagine this like head-to-head race and at the end of the year, when the game of the year award is given out and Eldering <laughs> wins and then it's like, boom, here's Cyberpunk 2077, <laughs> fun playing that. Oh
1: man, yeah, well, I think either either way, I've, I, I would be excited for either of us to win because both of those games sounds like we would have a great discussion about them. Yeah,
0: definitely. We're going to do an episode about them then once we know who uh, won the predictions for 2022. And yeah, this was our little cozy Christmas special. Shall I put on the music once more here? Oh my God, it starts playing already just before. (laughs) I don't even have to pick it up in order to play it. Here, there's a music box a little bit. Ah, Ah.
1: Merry Christmas, everyone.
0: Merry Christmas, everyone. It was such a great thing to launch this podcast this year. It's really, I mentioned this already, but we also talk about this off-air, obviously, but it's a great pleasure to podcast with you,
1: Dan. It's absolutely amazing and so much fun. Likewise, Stefan. I think um, uh, I'm very, very pleased that we kind of happened upon one another (laughs) in our previous endeavors, and uh, this has been... A great a great way to continue through the year and end the year. And I'm, I can't wait to see what 2022 brings us. Thanks to all of you
0: as well for listening, for supporting us on Studying Pixels Plus. But also if you're just listening, you know, enjoy the rest of the year. Merry Christmas. And uh, we'll see each other in January. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.